0: My next guest is Katie Wells, a certified transformational nutrition coach and a master certified health coach. Katie is someone I have looked up to for a very long time. Not only is she a published author of two best selling books and the CEO of the phenomenally successful website, wellnessmama.com, but she's a wife and a mom of six. And now the proud owner of Wellness, a personal care company that prides itself on clean ingredients and transparency. Katie is proof that you can do it all and still find time for yourself. You will find her on Instagram, in her sauna, or meal prepping for her family. And her sunny disposition, funny quotes, and real life tips keep me coming back to Katie for more. So, with a full heart and my notepad ready, let's welcome Katie Wells to the show. What's going on, girlfriend? Thank you Thanks so for being here. Me. Oh, oh, my gosh.
1: Thank you. It's such an honor and always so fun to chat with you. I can't wait.
0: Oh, good. I, I'm just so thrilled to have you on the show. We were talking a few minutes before it started that I'm really excited to get all your mom hacks and all the information out there for people because I think you are the perfect example of doing it all. So let's get started with, the, like, let's get started from the beginning. What inspired, what inspired you to start wellnessmama.com and like, how did it all begin?
1: Absolutely. So it was kind of a twofold reason that I started initially. Um, but one being my own health, although I was still in the early stages of trying to figure that out. And then the second being becoming a mom and that shifting my perspective. So when I was pregnant with my first son, I basically had a lot of the symptoms of Hashimoto start to hit and I didn't know at the time what it was. Um, but with a background in journalism, I had kind of started trying to research to figure out what might be going on and if this was normal or not. And then at the same time, of course, was pregnant and had my son. And one of the really big pivotal moments for me was at the follow-up appointment after having him, which is that six week appointment when they try to tell you that you're totally fine and back to normal, which you're not. Um, But I was waiting forever because the doctor was in another delivery. And so I had read through everything in the waiting room one of the last magazines I picked up was Time Magazine. And it said that for the first time in two centuries, the current generation of American children would have a shorter life expectancy than their parents. And I was holding this tiny, perfect newborn and nursing him. And I just remember thinking like like that contrast of this tiny perfect baby and then all these statistics of what his generation was gonna face and I joked that that was kind of like my oh no hold my beer moment that I was like so mad in that moment that I was determined to fix it had no idea how or if it was even possible but those kind of those two factors together um, both over the next ended up being eight years of trying to figure out my health and researching my way back to health fully and then also having now six kids and the journey that's come along with that I was just on this research journey trying to kind of figure out the answers to those two things and with a background in journalism, my outlet had always been to write. And so I just started compiling things and sharing just personally with friends as I started learning things related to health and creating recipes. Thankfully, I'm married to someone who's very good at tech and SEO. So he used my website as his testing ground for his paying clients at first. And uh, it worked really well. So there's an element of certainly being in the right place at the right time as well. But I realized as I started writing that there was this whole community of people and families that were going through similar struggles, either health health issues for the parents, health issues for the children, or just as awareness rose across the board, wanting to live a healthier life and wanting to move toward more natural products and more natural ways of living. And so Wellness Mama became a resource for that and a hub for naturally-minded moms and women and has now become an incredible community
0: that I'm just grateful to be part of. So I'm curious, when you first we feeling unwell at your six-week follow-up appointment. What were some of the symptoms you were having, and how long was it until you were diagnosed with Hashimoto's? You know, along that journey.
1: For sure. Well, and a quick note on the website side. I realized one of my dirty secrets is I actually love reading scientific studies, and I realized that's not actually normal, and most people don't like that. So yeah. I love having an outlet to like read all of that, and then turn it into something actionable that would hopefully make another family's life easier. Um, but for me, in that in that point. Like there was the ones, and they kept all my symptoms kept getting written off as like, oh, that's normal for pregnancy, that's normal for postpartum, and of course I had so many pregnancies back to back, the doctors just kept saying, oh no, that's normal. But I had like weight gain, which is normal with pregnancy, but I was cold all the time. I was losing hair, which they're like, oh, that's very normal postpartum. Um, I had digestive struggles, my skin was awful, and just like mood swings, and then also fatigue, which. Again, normal during early pregnancy, but even after pregnancy, I was so tired that I would put my little kids, first, just the first one, and then eventually I had three toddlers at once. I would put them in a room to play in their room and I knew there were only safe toys in there and I would lay in front of the closed door and just sleep because I knew they couldn't get out and get hurt. But I just had no energy to do anything. And I hated that, like being a new mom and wanting to be there and energetic and be all the things I wanted to be for my kids and just being so tired that I could barely move. Oh, I can
0: only imagine. But I've, I mean, I've felt that way when Bash wakes up at three or four in the morning and then doesn't go back to sleep. But to feel that way and to have three children at home, what were you seeing multiple doctors to try and figure this out? Was it all self-diagnosis? Like, how did you get to, How did you get to the bottom of it?
1: It was a combination of both. I It eventually took eight doctors before I finally got a diagnosis of Hashimoto's. And a lot of them, it was because they were testing just a couple of thyroid hormones. And then if those were in the normal range, they weren't going to look at antibodies or they weren't going to look deeper. But I had done enough research and reading on my own to be pretty sure I knew that was what was going on. And I kept asking for the other tests and I fired quite a few doctors because they wouldn't... I was so frustrated, like, I want to pay you to do this particular test and they wouldn't do it. And so at that point, it also became really clear to me that, well, I think in general, doctors are incredible and a lot of them got into being a doctor because they really want to help people. Um, There are some just big holes in the medical system when they're not allowed to order a certain test or it's not covered by certain things and it's this whole bureaucracy. And I realized um, more and more just how personalized health is and how you really do need a doctor who can become a partner and uh, like a a co-helper in in your care, but you can't outsource that to them either. I think that was a rude awakening for me is I kind of grew up with this mentality. If you're sick, you go to a doctor and they figure out how to fix you. And I realized in my own journey that you absolutely want a doctor in your corner, but at the end of the day, we're the ones responsible for our health. And often we're the ones who have to put the pieces together and figure out and then get that doctor to help us on the journey. But we can't just Expect a doctor who sees hundreds and hundreds of patients a month to be able to in an hour figure out everything that we're going through. Um, it's also why I now love things like we're seeing Concierge Medicine and different options that make it easier to really have a strong relationship with your doctor versus just um, like an outpatient, very quick appointment.
0: Yeah, it's amazing that like the average appointment time with a doctor is less than thirty minutes, and this is your health. People have these symptoms for months and years at a time, and to try and um distill it down in a few minutes and tell them everything that you're going through and for them to have the time to even think about what you might what you might have what diagnosis you might have is 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 insane. So I love it as well. What are some of the blood um markers that you were looking for that helped you determine that you had Hashimoto's?
1: So what was interesting is my, depending on when I was tested, my T3 and T4 and free T3 and free T4 were actually in okay ranges depending, but the antibody test and TSH were what were way off. And those were the two that it took so long to get tested. Um, ironically, when I met the doctor who ended up being able to give me a diagnosis and help me really start recovering, um, it was at a conference and he could tell even before doing blood tests that I had Hashimoto's. He basically just walked up, felt my thyroid and was like, oh, you absolutely have Hashimoto's. You have nodules. and. That was kind of a freak out moment because I didn't realize there were actually nodules and it had gotten to that point. But I, I also was grateful for him because I think it's realizing too, doctors can do some, but we're the ones, of course, that... Have to make the decisions for our own diet and for our own lifestyle, and those factors are huge, especially with any kind of hormonal issue, but thyroid specifically. And so, finding a doctor like that who also was telling me things like, "Hey, these are things you want to watch for in cleaning up your diet, and let's look at food sensitivities and add something, add broccoli sprouts to your diet because they have sulforaphane, and that's going to help with the nodules." And like he understood, we also need to increase your meds a little bit to get your TSH down just to get these nodules down, but support with supplement and support with. Diet and support with better sleep. And so finding someone who understood both sides of that was really pivotal for me. And also, he listened to the research I'd done and didn't discount my opinion. So we were able to really work together and to get those numbers where they needed to be.
0: Teamwork and it's the pairing of East and West, which I think a lot of times people jump on one side of that bandwagon. And really, it's the holistic approach of like getting a little bit of Western medicine if needed, but using those Eastern techniques of taking care of yourself from a holistic, clean approach that can really give you the biggest bang for your buck almost. What are the ways that your life changed to support your Hashimoto's?
1: there's a lot of experimentation, especially in the beginning. And this is something I go back to now. The longer I've been in the, the health and wellness world, the more I'm convinced that it really truly is very personalized. And we each are responsible for figuring out those things that work for us. Like There's some good general rules like sleep is important for everybody and certain foods are inflammatory to almost everyone. But outside of these kind of big categories, we really do have to experiment and figure out what's going to work for us. And so there was a long period of trying to figure out those things for me and a lot of throwing things at the wall and seeing what would work. And I'm obsessive about testing. So I kept spreadsheets and logs and did testing relatively often and could see what seemed to be moving the needle and what didn't. I have spreadsheets of data that have been really interesting to watch over the last eight years as I've like gotten better and now I'm completely in remission. Um, but just to see how the levels have changed and then just how my, I keep my symptoms in there and my energy level and my workouts and all of that so I can see what's actually impacting over time. I ate a really clean, basically AIP-type diet for a while just because realizing with Hashimoto's, there was a lot of inflammation in my body. And so trying to give my system a break as much as possible, um, and just get the inflammation down, and then reintroduce those things slowly. And and shifting from focusing on like until that point more of like a kind of macro calorie idea of eating to more of a eating within the clean anti-inflammatory way, but also making sure that I'm nourishing my body enough so that everything I put in my body has enough nutrients and is as nourishing as possible. Um, because there was like kind of a rebuilding phase, and the Hashimoto's for me probably stemmed from. Um, being very driven, working way too hard in high school and college, and then multiple pregnancies in a row. So I had put a lot on my body. And so trying to give it a break and focus on sleep and rest and nourishment and remove all that inflammation. Um, But it really was a slow process. And I think that's the other frustration, especially for a lot of women and anything related to hormones is, especially if you're driven and ready to just take action, you want to see everything just get better right now. And when you're dealing with hormones, it's so often the answer is to relax and to rest more and to sleep and that it's going to take time. And that was really a frustrating inner lesson to
0: learn is that I I actually just had to have patience with myself. Yeah. And consistency. I think a lot of times people will get on something for a couple of weeks and not see changes. I mean, you're doing the testing. So you're seeing those changes over the long term. But I'm sure that they were just very small, incremental changes and and you needed to stick with it. Can you explain for everyone listening, the AIP protocol that you're on, the autoimmune protocol for those listening, um, what foods you were removing and what foods you were using to really increase your nutrient density and nourish your body?
1: Absolutely. So basically, it's based on the idea of just looking at foods and how likely they are to cause inflammation in the body. So foods that are high in like lectins, for instance, can be more inflammatory. Um, With AIP, it's actually easier to list of things you can eat versus the things you can't because it is extremely restrictive. Um, But in the beginning, you're off of anything that would be like seeds or nuts or grains, certainly anything processed and sugar, but you're really more focused on really clean sources of protein, lots of green vegetables and certain kinds of vegetables that are usually cooked and that are lower, anything that could cause inflammation, and then soothing foods like broths and things like that. And I did start to feel really a difference from that and and just like the level of nourishment my body was getting and that like almost felt like I kind of described it as the first few weeks of that it was almost like my digestive system kind of took like a deep breath or like that feeling when you work out in a coat and you're sweaty and then you take off the, the coat and you get that like cool just like relaxing air that hits your skin that's what my insides felt like for the first time like I could feel the inflammation going down and it was still a much longer process before I fully healed, but that made a huge difference. And now I've been able to reintroduce most foods. Um, I I still don't eat things like gluten regularly or sugar, um, but if I'm exposed to them, I'm fine. And the only food I really can't eat is egg. And that one has been kind of lifelong for me. So um, it definitely made a difference. And I used supplements like um, probiotics and different gut healing supplements to really focus on my gut during that time. I think those made a difference as well. Um, But the the real big lesson for me is in, in the past year, was dealing with the inner and emotional and mental side of that because um, I, I feel like I dealt with all the physical stuff and had developed a really consistent routine for that. But it wasn't until I really addressed the inner side that everything really totally fell into place and my body actually adjusted without any other dietary changes and all that. Like I feel like, I, well, I'm now fully in remission, but I also feel
0: comfortable in my body for the first time. So w- walk me through that. Like What mental and emotional support tools were you using and and when you say that like your body finally like relaxed and went into remission, do you think it was based on like being an overachiever, type A, stress? Like what was it that you were needing to work through to to feel like at home in your body?
1: Yeah, I did a podcast on my podcast recently about this as well. Basically I I knew that like logically, of course with Hashimoto's and with multiple pregnancies that close together um, that it would be difficult to lose weight. But that is something I had struggled with pretty much my whole adult life. And I realized one day that I had really developed this negative self-image and that when I looked in the mirror, it was this script of all the things that I didn't like about myself. And I heard my daughters say things a couple times that I realized they were picking up on that. And so last year, I vowed at the beginning of the year that I was not going to enter a new decade with that script in my head because it's one thing to talk to our children about being comfortable in their body and about body positivity, but they need an example of that. And so I went into the year thinking, I don't know what I have to do to conquer this, but this ends this year. I'm not giving this to my daughters. They're not going to have this mental prison of the mind when they're older. Like I'm going to figure out how to copy to figure to get through this. And at the same time, I had always kind of resisted emotions and had been relatively unemotional, um, I think that went back to some past trauma, but I just shut down emotions and always thought, like, I'm going to be more productive and better at business and better at life if I don't have to deal with emotions because they just get in the way. And I had always kind of existed like that. And in hindsight, I can look back and realize I was just suppressing emotions and I was actually living probably in a state of fight or flight and that sympathetic nervous response. All the time, which ironically makes it very difficult to lose weight because if your body thinks you're running from a tiger, it's not worried about digestion or losing weight. Um, But I had really just tried to push the emotions off and not deal with them until I realized I don't want this to pass on to my kids and I really need to face this. And so even though I had dealt with all the dietary stuff and gotten inflammation down and my numbers were great, I still hadn't been able to lose weight. And I, I thought in my mind like, oh, if I can lose weight, then I'll be happy. And I realized as I started working into this journey that it actually went the other way. It was when I learned to love and accept my body where it was and be grateful for it, for what it could do and not have that stress and to work through the mental and emotional aspects of trauma that the weight loss caught up. So it's crazy. In the past year, I lost over 50 pounds without Changing my diet without exercising, which sounds bizarre. But I did the work dealing with the emotions and the mental side and used I pretty much through every modality I could think at the wall for it. Like I used all kinds of body work, I used tapping, I worked with several different kinds of therapists, um, just anything I could think of. And I think a combination of all of those and the fact that, you know, when the student is willing, the teacher will appear. I think a lot of things potentially could have worked at that point. But that I had to really acknowledge just how the mind-body connection actually is so much more important. It's easy to discount that, especially if we're type A, but for me that was ended up
0: being absolutely pivotal. Wow. That is such a phenomenal story. And just I mean, I can't even believe what the like what the last year must have been like for you, just to know that you're eating exactly the same and just going inside and finding that release. How do you feel now and what tools over the last year do you feel like are Sort of your tools. When I when I talk to clients, I'm always asking them to try multiple things because I think we all connect with certain things over other practices. What were the ones that really worked for you, or were, was it the people you were working with?
1: I think there was an element of both. Um, like tapping is something I've kept up with, which I was so skeptical of for so many years. But I, like I said, I track everything obsessively, and I know I can tell a difference in my heart rate variability from day to day when I tap versus when I don't. I also tried a lot of different types of meditation techniques. Uh, I worked with both traditional therapists and more um, like hypnosis type therapists. But what ended up being interesting for me too was the body work component. So most people kind of understand the mind-body connection that like if you have emotional mental stuff going on that can Manifest in the body. And there's a great book called The Body Keeps the Score about how that actually physically happens. And so most people think, okay, I need to fix my mind so that I can fix my body. And what I realized is that's very much a two way street that you can also, in a, in a sense, kind of influence the mind and influence toward trauma through the body itself as well. Um, and The Body Keeps the Score talks quite a bit about that. So I tried all these different kinds of body work um, and fascia work and deep work that kind of try to address the trauma side of the body and then did that hand in hand with a lot of the therapy on the mental side. And um, again, I think it's a situation like a lot of things could potentially have worked. But I did one type of therapy where it was essentially like deep body work rolfing combined with essentially acro yoga and being upside down and off the ground, which I didn't expect, but it triggered every trust issue I had that went back to past trauma. And so at first I was like, oh no, I can't do this. And the practitioner was like, oh yeah, you can. This is like your trust issues. And I'm like, what? I don't know how to trust you. I was trying yeah. to get out of it. Out of it. Um, but being upside down, not in control, not touching the ground. And then this like hour-long body work, I like my mind freaked out and I had all these kind of flashbacks to the traumas and like relived them. And what I realized was I had never actually finished like I've never experienced the emotion that should have gone along with that because the pain was so intense that I shut down emotion and thought like, I don't want to feel this, I will never be hurt again. And I like literally that day created walls and I like armor essentially, and thought like I will never let myself be hurt again. And in that moment and reliving it, I was able to process it and actually feel all of the emotion and let them go. And when he finally put me down, I shook like an animal who had just been through trauma for like hours. So if you've ever seen an animal on like National Geographic that almost gets killed and then escapes and they just shake to get the adrenaline out. I had never done that after the actual trauma. And I like caught back up 16 years later and I just shook uncontrollably for hours. And then by the next day had lost eight pounds, which defies the laws of thermodynamics, but it was emotional weight. And I felt like the armor was like breaking down. If that makes any sense. And then, so then it was able to like kind of reach things I had been suppressing for years and just start targeting and um, working through those. And instead of fighting things, which had been my default ever since then, like I thought I could protect myself if I fought it, I was able to acknowledge those things, realize that they'd actually been instrumental in my life for helping me succeed in many ways, even though they weren't always necessarily balanced and I certainly wouldn't choose to have gone through them. But to be able to say like, thank you to my body for this response. Thank you for keeping me safe for all those years, but I don't need you to do that anymore. And like, there's a great meme or quote that I feel like kind of represents that that time for me, which was that I said to my body, I want to be your friend. And my body said, I've been waiting my whole life for this. But it was like oh, developing wow. that relationship was pivotal. And it's so it, if you told me three years ago that's what it would take, I would have been like, okay, that's woo, whatever. Yeah. Um, now seeing it firsthand, I'm just amazed at how important that, that connection is and how like we really have to be in alignment with both of those aspects. And um, another aspect for that for me was the community side. I think that's a difficult piece in today's world to have true authentic community that's not just digital. But I really focused in the last year on relationships and solid friendships and having a support community of people that you can really be vulnerable and real around. And that like, I think also helped me feel safe and be able to like start letting go and not have to have armor up all the time.
0: It's so true. I feel like some of my best friends from growing up and are still my best friends today and being able to just be your true self with those people the good the bad the ugly and not have to put up a front and especially you have a phenomenal following online but those people that like really they know who you are and you can be you it's and always trying to connect with those people especially look at what you've built your amazing company all your kids your new your new wellness line like it's hard to prioritize that time how how are you doing that How are you getting with your girlfriends and those people that support you? Um, How are you making time for that?
1: For me, it goes back to like scheduling the most important things first. And I have not always done this. So I've only been probably managing this well for the last probably four or five years. Um, Before that, I got to a point where I realistically probably came close to a nervous breakdown, trying to manage the kids who were younger at that point, plus homeschooling, plus business, plus running a household and all of the things that go with all of that. And I actually had a day where I almost deleted Wellness Mama and just quit. And in that day, I kept thinking like, why is it that the business side is so fun and so easy? And I feel like at home, I'm just barely treading water most days and I'm just overwhelmed. And I realized in the business, everything ran completely on systems. And I, everything was measured. Everything had goals. Everything like Everybody knew what had to happen when. There was a time and a place for everything. And we knew exactly where we were going. And at home, I was trying to manage most things in my head. Like I had meal planning tools that I used and things like that. But when it came to our schedules and the kids and education and what they needed and their like emotional needs day to day and family time, I was trying to just manage essentially eight people's schedule in my head. So I, I started applying the things I knew that worked in business essentially to my personal life, which sounds maybe a little bit robotic, but not in it like I'm, it's not like I systematized my relationship with my kids. I systematized our family time and realized we will fill as humans. We fill whatever amount of time we give ourselves. So if I gave myself eight hours to work, I would definitely take eight hours to get everything done. Whereas if I schedule the most important things first, which are time with my kids, family dinner, time with my husband, all those things, and then put the work and put the other stuff in after, I'll still get the work done because we fill the time or we get what we need to do done in that time. Um, But that way, I keep my priorities in, in focus and systematize our home life with the same level of priority that I was giving to business. And that really revolutionized our home systems and got the kids more involved. And we started functioning like an actual team versus me just trying to run everything on my own and really changed... Completely changed my schedule, which also let me put in those important things like having time with friends and making time for relationships and even travel at certain times with other couples or with girlfriends or time for reading, for instance, or painting. Like I love to paint and draw. So making those scheduled things before just sticking business on the schedule all the time. And the beauty of it is, I always used to think I don't have time to do these creative things I love, like paint or draw or do with my kids. And as I've started getting back into them, now they'll come sit with me and draw or they'll paint with me or we'll all go do an activity together. And so it's kind of like getting to do multiple things that are priorities at one time and that I find when I focus on those those are the things that fill my cup and I'm able to be so much more effective at business and so much more present because I don't have that pull on my heart of the things I know I I really care about that I need to prioritize
0: that is so stinking cute. I just hope Bash wants to sit at the table and draw with me one day <laughs> Oh I love it what so now I need to know the actual details what does day in the life of you look like and what are these systems you've put in place like hour by hour minute by minute not to be robotic but like i need the tools personally and i know so many of our listeners do too
1: yeah so i basically started by making master list of everything that needed to happen in the house within different categories so like all of the household chore related things all of the like meal planning shopping food related things all of the things related to kids activities and running and then made a spreadsheet with all of our names and activities and where they all lined up And then also did this for the kids. And I have a core principle that I won't do anything for my kids that they're capable of doing themselves. That wasn't always the case, but that was one of those game changers for me during this transition. So the kids have their own kind of master list that they're in charge of running. And I don't nag them. I don't have to remind them. There's built-in natural consequences for those things. So everybody except for our three-year-old, they all do their own laundry. And if they don't do their laundry, they don't have clean clothes. And that's a natural consequence. I don't have to enforce it. So if they're capable of doing it, I'm not going to do it. Which means also... Um, The older kids help with meals relatively often. They actually help with meal planning now relatively often. But they keep their spaces in the house clean. They help with meal prep and also meal cleanup, um, which is... I love having older kids. It's been a game changer. But scheduling those blocks for them so they knew ahead of time when they had to get stuff done. And I knew ahead of time when I had to get stuff done. So if I knew like laundry is going to happen for me on Tuesday, I'll do my laundry. I'm not worried about laundry the rest of the time. And... I I love math. I'm a huge nerd when it comes to math. And so for me, it was solving the, for the variable of reduced stress and realizing that it's not actually having to get stuff done that stresses us out most of the time. It's all of those things running as loops in our head and knowing that like, the mental responsibility of knowing we have to do all of those things. So totally. if all of those things have a place and a time, then we take away the mental stress of them when it's not their time and place and we don't have to think about them. And so just pretty much blocking out time and we certainly like leave room for spontaneity and sometimes I'll have days where I just cancel everything and we have family time. But for the most part, most days run on a schedule starting with the variable times people wake up and who's making breakfast which days and if they're making their own breakfast. I schedule in movement most mornings. I'll try to I try not to do email, phone or work in the first hour and a half to 2 hours of the day. I try to make sure that's family time, um, a priority is being outside as soon as possible after waking up because there's so many hormone cascades that happen when you get bright sunlight, even if it's a cloudy day. When you get that sunlight on your eyes as soon as possible after waking up, it signals your circadian rhythm. It increases your melatonin at night. It reduces cortisol. um, It's a big key for me in, in that hormones, keeping my hormones in a good place. And to get the community aspect, I'll sit either with my husband and drink coffee or with all the kids or we'll read, but we'll be together outside. And sometimes we'll get movement as part of that as well. But just putting those priorities in, like building up resilience and building up the things that support early in the day. And then while the kids do school, I tackle work and then try to be finished by about noon when they're done. So we can eat lunch as a family and then take care of family-related activities and other stuff that comes up in the afternoon, depending on the day. It could be gymnastics and pole vaulting. It could be doctor's or dentist appointments if those have to happen, or it could just be playing tag outside. Um, but whatever, it may be, making sure those things hit the schedule. And then dinner is always as a family and wind down routine. And then if I have anything else to do that's really pressing, I'll do that from about 8 to 9 after the kids are in bed and then start my wind down routine because um, sleep is also a priority. And as a mom, I know, and I've seen it over and over, as long as we prioritize sleep, everything else is so much easier. And if everybody does not get enough sleep, it's like nuclear meltdown.
0: Right. So at what age with your kids did you start giving them responsibilities and what were some of those responsibilities like laundry? like What were the ages in which you got them on board for this?
1: Really young. So by two, they started for sure having things they helped with and certainly they're not actually completely helpful at that age, but it's sowing those seeds of them being able to do it later on. And as they start learning different... Um, whether it be just like helping unload the dishwasher, like a two and a half to three-year-old can help unload the silverware because they can stand mm-hmm. on a stool and put things away. But once they master any activity or they're able to do it on their own, then I absolutely stop doing it for them. And so the, the, my kids hear me say all the time, like they'll be like, I can't do it. And I'm like, well, I won't do it. So you're going to have to figure it out. And so like they learn to tie their shoes relatively easy. They... And buckle themselves in their car seat relatively early. And then with with home tours, like even the little ones can use a hand vacuum and help vacuum or wipe down a table or help clean up dishes or clear dishes. Um, and we kind of have like tour charts that they transition to at different ages. But my 13 year old, for instance, I think could live entirely on his own if he wanted to. Like he knows how to cook, he knows how to clean, he knows how to sew buttons, he knows how to do laundry. He can actually do most household repairs at this point. Um, and it's about giving them that autonomy as soon as they're able, which they actually really like because especially as they start hitting those teenage years, the goal of children at that age is to become independent and to separate a little bit. So I feel like if rather than try to fight that, we try to give them a safe container where they can develop independence and develop life skills, um, but still have our support and still know that we're a safe place where they can always come to talk or for support. Um, They really can thrive in that kind of environment. And my kids don't at all. They're not resentful that they have responsibilities. I think they feel like they actually
0: get to contribute in a meaningful way to the household because they legitimately are. Well, you're giving them purpose and you're giving and you're building confidence in their ability to take care of themselves. So it's just gonna prove to them when they go out into the working world and they go to college that they can handle it. Exactly. And
1: that also gives them um like the skills. So we we homeschool, but by about um thirteen, fourteen they finish up what would be a traditional curriculum all the way through high school. And then they move into a business incubator with us. So I wanted them to have all of these life skills in advance of that. Because I figure as if you're moving into adulthood, you would already have those skills, hopefully. Um, and then when they're in this business incubator, the deal is they have to have a profitable business for a year before they can drive or have their own phone. And we've always kind of had this deal with them but we help them figure out a business plan and execute it and track it. And I feel like through that, um, it teaches so many of the life skills I would wanna impart to them, but in a hands-on way. So they have to learn critical thinking and they have to be creative, they have to have follow through and consistency and attention to detail and learn about finances. All of those things, but it's through a very hands-on way, and then we get to teach them things like, you know, as an entrepreneur, your goal is to solve a problem and make the world better. So, what problems do you see, and how can you fix it? Um, and and teach them that way. And so, um, it was also for me about making sure I freed up enough of my time and, and bandwidth to be able to be there and be really present for them as they start kind of this early launch into adulthood wow. through running businesses and learning that.
0: Wow, what businesses do you have incubating over there? <laughs> So, when they're really little, we've had the
1: like, you know, normal like neighborhood businesses and pet setting and that kind of stuff. Um, Right now, our oldest is actually developing a series of superworms that break down styrofoam into non BPA components. And so they're basically like neutral. We think he's testing them and it's this whole crazy system he has. So, there's thousands and thousands of superworms in my house, which is a little bit unnerving. But if it works, it'll actually be a sustainable way to break down styrofoam, which is not recyclable. And he can work with recycling facilities to be able to do that. And he's also got... helping starting his own podcast and he's like kind of following my footsteps on a couple ways too. So we'll see which one ends up being the profitable business, but he's definitely having fun
0: learning. Wow. That is so impressive. How old is he? He's 13. Oh my God, Katie. <laughs> you must be so proud.
1: Yeah. It's been an amazing ride. I it's, uh, I feel like every day of motherhood, certainly there's overwhelming days, but most days I just have to be so grateful because it's so neat to see all these Kids and how their own personality expresses, and to kind of watch as they start to go out into the world in not too many years, and how they can improve it. That's always been my wish for them. But yeah, I'm I'm very grateful and proud to be their mom.
0: Oh my gosh! Well, how are you guys? I know you protect your family time, and you sounds like in the first couple hours in the morning and like dinner time. But and you're their teacher uh, for homeschooling, correct? Or I am. We have a couple people who help
1: and come tutor,
0: but uh, I also extremely involved. Wow. So now I need to know how you feed your family because you have amazing recipes online. You've written a couple of books and I've seen it on your Instagram. Like, What are some of the meals that you're making for your family and how are you keeping six little humans fed? They're feeding themselves too. But what are are your hacks there? They do feed
1: themselves too. So um, breakfast is great because they pretty much all make their own. So it could be smoothies. It could be omelets. It could be that we make a casserole the night before where it's just leftovers. But they're really capable of handling that on their own. So in the morning, that's sometimes if I'm still exercising or if my husband and I are sitting on the porch having coffee, they're making their own breakfast and then they'll kind of join us. Um, But breakfast is an easy one that doesn't depend on me very much. I will pre-prep for for lunches um, for pretty much the whole week. So we always have Salad ingredients pre prepared and ready to go. I'll pre make a bunch of proteins and have those. So the kids um, will often make either huge salads or soups for lunch because if you have the proteins pre -pre made, it's easy to get broth and just add protein and vegetables at that point. Mm -hmm. And then the dinners are more like more planned and more regimented just because it's easier to have a system for shopping. So what I do typically is for every kind of three month period based on seasonal vegetables, I'll find our top 12 to 15 recipes that we all like. And then just rotate them. And I use a software called Real Plans. But before I use that, I just use index cards where on the front of it, I had like the ingredients that we would need, but it was per person. So... um, And then on the back, I had the instructions. And the reason I had it per person is because often we'll have guests or there'll be extra kids at my house. So if I needed to plan for like 16 instead of 8, I could just... I would do all the multiplication as I was making the shopping list and, and have enough for each meal for however many people were going to be there. And then once that was established, I would do a two-week meal plan where nothing repeated. And then I would just repeat that about six times. So that way, I didn't have to recreate the meal plan or reinvent the wheel. And I could just shop the same shopping list, like alternating weeks, six times. And so that just really like cuts down on shopping time and cuts down on meal prep time if I knew ahead of time whatever I had to do. And then that just rotates seasonally. And then I also... Um, we're not huge on snacks because I always like to explain to the kids, it's great for your liver to have a break from digestion in between meals yeah. if possible. But if you are actually hungry or it's cold vaulting day and you're actually starving, um, there's always really clean like snacks, fruits, vegetables, clean proteins that are available anytime and they can go
0: get those or make those themselves. I love that. And you're also saving so much money not buying all that processed stuff and they're not ingesting that, which is great when it comes to stocking your fridge it sounds like you buy a lot of the same things for breakfast so people can make their own and then you stock your fridge with proteins and veggies like on average like how many pounds of protein are you making to store and like what are some examples of the things you make for lunch so that they can just throw it all together and go
1: yeah, so we do a lot. I'll try to do a lot of different um, types of options. So, my boys especially love red meat. So, I'll get like grass fed, super clean red meat and make either like things like roast or like steaks and then cut them into pieces so they can either just eat them or put them in a stew or put them on a salad. Lots of chicken, both like all the different kinds of chicken, I'll pre cook those. But I also love to just keep stocked things like um really clean sources of seafood. That's actually those are my favorites. And I, what I almost always eat, especially in the middle of the day. Um lunch is always my biggest meal. And I'll usually have it be like something like sardines or clams or salmon or something like that. That's a clean type of seafood. Um and the kids prefer that now too. So um I'll often find my three year old for lunch. Like if I haven't made it yet and she's hungry, she'll just get a can of sardines out and put mustard on it and start eating, which is super oh my easy. Gosh. Easy to stock, um, but it's not fancy. Like, I wish some days that I had more like gourmet, fancy options on the table for them, but especially for breakfast and lunch, it's just simple things like that that are kind of on repeat.
0: I love that though, because I think people get it in their head that they need to be, you know, a top chef to take care of their family the right way. And it's really about getting consistent and taking care of yourself. Exactly. So you've been—I mean—a phenomenally successful entrepreneur, and you're really consistent with your business. What systems do you have in place for your business? Because I don't even—I mean—I understand that you're protecting time by scheduling. But like, your kids know that you just like leave the room. Do you go to an office? How are you building this amazing business and staying on top of it while running your household?
1: I do have a place I go for recording podcasts now, just because it's. It's hard to do that with just the noise chaos that's always in my house. Um, We live in a neighborhood with only 19 houses, but 38 kids. And so at any given day, there's usually like 20 plus kids in my house. And so it's hard to find quiet to record. Um, Most of the time, other time, I actually work from home and I'll work The kitchen table, or just stand up on the counter for kind of a standing desk. And uh, I can handle the noise, and they know if I'm like in the middle of something or on a call, they don't interrupt. But it's about systems for the business as well. I do a lot of batching. So I only check email twice a day for 20 minutes and I manage everything there. And it's about like controlling the variables with pings. So with email and Slack, I feel like if I didn't do that, I would just spend all of every day. Answering pings and emails and never actually get anything else done. And then I manage every day based on my top three. Sometimes it has to stretch to five priorities, but those are pre established the day before. So I write them down before I go to sleep. So I also can kind of like think about them while I'm sleeping and be ready to hit the ground running. And then those three things have to happen in order, non negotiably, in that like clean block of time. I do have all the kids are working on school on their own or with a tutor. And so I try to really get through that part of the to-do list in those first few hours. I will have days where I'll batch podcast recordings. So I'll be gone the whole day and someone else will be with the kids and I'll record like 8 to 10 podcasts in a row. Um, But those are rare and I try to keep them batched so that I don't have to do them that often. And then beyond that, I'm able to fit in the writing and the emails and all the other aspects that go with business typically around family time. Um, but it's also been just years of kind of figuring out those systems and having... We have a managing editor and a director of operations who handle some of the logistics now. Um, for years, I just did all of it. But now with them, I have someone editing my writing, which is hugely helpful. And I have someone managing the emails and scheduling the podcasts that I don't have to handle myself. But everything else I do handle still and just try to fit it in those blocks of time that don't interfere with
0: family time. So what are the two 20-minute blocks where you check your email?
1: Um, After the morning routine, when the kids first go to school, so usually around 8.30 or 9. Mm -hmm. And then in the afternoon before I cook dinner, just in case there's last minute pings or things from the team that they need to keep moving forward while I'm with the kids at night. Um, And I found both through a system of filters. So I set up um, filters in my email for things like if it has the word unsubscribe in it, then it's probably from a list. And so it goes into its own folder and I check those separately. Or um, if it's like, stuff I can't filter out of my email, I'll just put it into its own folder so I'm not checking it all the time. And I also... I Just personally, I don't like... When people ask to just hop on a call because I don't like being on the phone anyway. So I have a a filter. If it says hop on a call, it goes in its own folder and I'll deal with it later. But that way, I see the most important things first. And I'm able to get through the emails that really need attention right away um, versus having to like sift through all the ones that shouldn't even be there in the first place. And then I have a lot of integrations built up in Slack so that anything that can be automated is. And so that it's not just me typing out the same Slack
0: messages over and over. So for people who are just emailing you because you're, you have a, a website and you, you know, your emails out there in the world, are you answering everyone's emails and DMs and everyone who reach out, reaches out to you? Or how are you managing that? For the most part, yes, if it's something I can hand off
1: to a team member and they can like kindly say like we really appreciate the interest, but this is not a project we can handle right now or that we don't we have policies against this and this or whatever it may be, um then they will, but if it's like dms and that kind of stuff, I typically try to respond to all of them, even if it's just to say things but i I can't take on anything else right now because I am so grateful for anyone in the community, and I realize like it's all the it's everyone that makes the community great, so I don't ever wanna ignore anyone, but it also does... It can become overwhelming when you get so many per day. So also trying to set up systems and policies and even autoresponders so that at least sometimes they'll get a response immediately that explains why it might take me a little while to respond or why we can't do certain projects. Um, but it is. That's definitely one of the tougher parts I feel like to balance as an entrepreneur.
0: Yeah. You just want to connect with everyone, but you you can't... I mean, you're just... People end up being really reactive instead of proactive and i think your systems are helping you stay proactive like your 220 minute hits on email and and your morning hours to get those priorities done i'm curious about those priorities too how are you detailing exactly what you're meant to do because i think priorities can can sometimes be general or vague like how are you getting into the detail of what exactly you're going to do are they actionable steps or or what is it
1: Yes, it depends on the day. So one uh, one day a week will be a writing day for me. Um, and I love the quote that's been attributed to everyone. So I don't know who actually said it, um, but that I only write when the inspiration strikes, but it strikes every morning at 9am. I've trained myself like on a writing day, I need to get through 6,000 words before noon and I just go. And so that's like bl- batched. And so that day, that is my top priority. Um, or if it's like other types of days, I would have pings coming from the wellness team or from the wellness mama team. Um, it might be like a guest post I need to write or an interview I need to do or um, something with the manufacturer. But based on kind of like order of priority, they can send things to me with a level of urgency. And then those things go on the list as the top three priorities. And then nothing else happens till those three things happen. And I always, of course, have a backup list of other stuff I need to get done. So if I get through those three quickly, I can move on to other things. But that way, by establishing the night before based on team inputs and just what I know needs to happen, I can get those three things already like, ready to go so that when I hit the ground running in the morning, I can hopefully get them done quickly.
0: Yeah. What tools do you use to track your list and priorities? And are you sharing these with your team members or is this just like for you?
1: Um, it's both. So we use Slack for all the teams. I have multiple Slack work, workplaces set up and a lot runs through there. So they're able to give me priorities through that. Um, there's also an app called Notion that's been really helpful. And it, that actually is great even not if you're not running a business and you're just running a household or collaborating with your spouse. Or um, it, It's great because you can assign each other to-do lists and you can keep track of your own in there. Um, and calendars. It's got a lot of really helpful... Integrations and tools, and it's an app on your phone as well. So even um, I feel like for as a mom, that's a hugely beneficial tool. And then beyond that, I use a mixture of just the notes app in my phone. That some of those are shared with different members of the team, so they can hand stuff off to me, or with my husband, so we can hand off things back and forth for grocery shopping or kid stuff or whatever. But really, other than that, I just try to keep it really simple and not have too many things that can ping me. That's good.
0: You got to like silence the noise so you can stay focused to get all this stuff done. Exactly. So speaking of staying focused, you were able to launch a personal care line on top of everything you've already done called wellness. And I just tried your toothpaste, your shampoo and conditioner, and I love it personally. And I also love that I know what the ingredients are. I think it makes a huge difference, especially being a mom and having bash around and knowing that I'm going to want to get pregnant again and again and again, maybe not six times. Maybe four, <laughs> but um, but I'm curious. Like, how long has this been in the works? What are you most excited about? And yeah, tell everyone about the product line.
1: Absolutely. I so wellness. I had been making my own DIY products for years, and those recipes are on Wellness Mama if anybody wants them. But I realized a lot of people don't have the time, or energy, or desire to formulate their own you know toothpaste and shampoo from scratch in their kitchen. And you have to order a lot of ingredients to be able to do that. And then you have these bulk ingredients you don't need necessarily over and over. and But what really was the impetus for me for actually creating them and releasing them, I had quite a few friends who ate organic food, who lived really clean lives. They use natural products in their home for the most part, but they were using name brand toothpaste and hair care and personal care products because they worked. And when I would talk to them about it, they'd be like, Yeah, I know there's a bunch of junk in this, but I just can't sacrifice quality like i don't want my hair to look bad or i hate how my teeth feel with natural toothpaste and i knew those were solvable problems especially with the technology we have now and all the ingredients we have available and so i realized like that's what families need most right now are personal care products that solve that pain point they have to be as effective as conventional products but using only safe ingredients and that's the only way we're going to get full mainstream Turnover and switch to more natural products as if they actually work as well as conventional. So spent a lot, a lot, a long time in formulation on these. The toothpaste between my versions and then working with a chemist and the manufacturer um, has been through over 90 iterations. Um, and it's the only toothpaste that I know of that's fully natural on the market that doesn't have fluoride or glycerin, because a lot of natural toothpaste have glycerin, um, and that contains hydroxyapatite, which is a naturally occurring mineral that is the same form as what's in our enamel. So it helps naturally strengthen enamel from the sides, potentially of something like fluoride that you wouldn't want your child to accidentally ingest an entire tube of. And so, wellness um, was born with the idea of a whole body and whole earth sense of well being. And so, our non negotiable principles are that every product has to be human-safe, it has to be planet-safe, and it has to be as effective as conventional alternatives. And it's taken a long time sometimes to get those formulations perfect because getting all three of those things is really tough. And it's usually almost like a pick-two scenario. And I think that's where a lot of products come from. Is like you can have human-safe, earth-safe, or effective pick two, and we were like, no, absolutely not. We demand all three, and that's where wellness was born. So we have right now shampoo and conditioner and toothpaste, and we will soon be rolling out dry shampoo and sunscreen, and then um, we are in the works for baby lines and kids kid lines and skincare lines and cosmetics beyond that. So lots of exciting things coming. But my thought was the only way we can change the industry really is from the inside out, and we have to do it by being equally as effective as the alternatives. Um, but with just totally transparent, clean ingredients, we list all of them on the site. Um, we only use ingredients that are rated safe by the Environmental Working Group as one or two. So they are non-toxic. I feel totally comfortable with putting any of these on my children or using them on myself. Um, and so that was the only way I was going to be willing to pass them on to other families as if it met those criteria.
0: Oh, Katie, I feel like I want all the other products immediately. <laughs> I'm not gonna be patient enough to wait. What a beautiful gift that you're giving the world just to have that kind of confidence in a product line. And and I think because you've made everything DIY for so long, and it's true, like I don't have time to Make my own toothpaste or shampoo and conditioner, and I you do end up buying like a pound of a specific ingredient. <laughs> and I live in a two-bedroom apartment. Where am I going to store this stuff? So it's just you're really giving a gift to everyone, and to know that you have such high quality standards and that they are non-negotiable. Because I think that's the problem. Like there are so many clean lines out there that start out clean and or are excited about something, and they get to a manufacturer and they ha- and they make compromises
1: exactly and even even in the packaging I was determined that we were not going to negotiate on those things so we are the only brand that I know of right now that uses completely natural um, sugarcane based packaging which means it's technically recyclable and also commercially compostable and it breaks down much more safely and it's carbon neutral or carbon beneficial to begin with so it's not using resources to even create and so to me it's like all of us as individuals absolutely should be choosing safer options for ourselves and for the planet and that's how we grassroots change. But we also need companies making these decisions on a wider scale so that we have like top-down and bottom-up change. And that's the only way we're going to actually shift this for the environment and for ourselves over time. And so I'm glad to be one of those companies and making those changes. And I'm so grateful that there are so many companies now that are acknowledging the health and environmental components of products and starting to make the shift as well. So I'm hoping we can be part of that groundswell of really making lasting change.
0: No, you definitely are a part of it. Where, where can people find um, Wellness online or in stores? Yeah. So Wellness is just
1: wellness with an E on the end. And uh, wellness.com has all of the products right now. I'm sure you'll have links in the show notes that they can find as well. And we will be um, eventually on Thrive Market and Amazon and eventually retail. Um, I wanted to get really well-established and get our products to our core community first and let them always be the priority before um, going really big in retail. And so we're loving getting the feedback and getting to really refine things and get like learn that process with just our core community right now. So everything's available on wellness.com.
0: I love it. Katie, it is such a pleasure to talk to you. You are an inspiration in every aspect of your life and such an inspiration for me. But I love most of all that you're just happy, lighthearted human who makes the world a better place. So thank you so much for spending your morning with me and sharing your tips. I'm going to have to re- re-listen to this um, episode and get all of the hyperlinks to everything you dropped because this is an episode chock full of actionable steps. And I'm so excited to put it out in the, into the world. So thank you so, so much.
1: Thank you so much for having me and uh, mutual admiration society and for all the work that you do in helping so many people. It's always so inspiring to see on Instagram and on your site, um, your amazing community and all the people that you help and inspire. And I'm grateful for your friendship.
0: Me too. So where can people find you so they can follow along and have as much fun as I do? Oh, thank you. Um, Well, wellness.com is the products.
1: Wellnessmama.com is the content site. And then I am just Wellness Mama on every
0: social media platform. And she has a phenomenal podcast too. So go have a listen. Thanks for being here. And we will see you guys next week. Thank you for listening to Be Well by Kelly. Please subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Learn more at bewellbykelly.com and follow me on Instagram at bewellbykelly. I would love if you picked up my books, Body Love and Body Love Every Day. They're sold on Amazon and at all major booksellers.